Are your clothes made where you live? Where do the clothes come from? Shannon and I dive into some of the sustainability questions that you should ask when starting a clothing business. As the founder and CEO of Factory 45, Shannon has worked with idea stage entrepreneurs to launch clothing companies that are ethically and sustainably made across the globe. This is a great episode for any entrepreneur in the clothing business and anybody that wants to run a business that's sustainable and ethical. This episode is brought to you by e-commerce unconference happening on January 21st in Orlando, Florida. This is a platform agnostic event and all are invited from any platform. An unconference is a conference where you decide on the speakers and the topics which are to be presented. Go to unconf.us, that's U-N-C-O-N-F dot U-S, to get your ticket. The capacity is limited to no more than 140 people. And if you've been to an unconference in the past, you know they sell out fast. Go to unconf.us while tickets are still available. Make a weekend vacation while attending a fun event. That's January 21st in Orlando, Florida. And I've heard there are some theme parks there that you can visit as well. That's unconf.us. And now, your free joke. As I looked at my naked body in the mirror, I realized that I was going to get kicked out of Ikea. My name is Brent Peterson, and I'm your host. Please remember to subscribe wherever you download your podcasts. And now, talk commerce. Welcome to this episode of Talk Commerce. Today I have Shannon Lohr, the founder of Factory 45. Shannon, why don't you introduce yourself much better than I did, uh, your name right, and uh, tell us about a little what you do day to day and one of your passions. Sure. Thanks for having me, Brent. Um, yeah, my name is Shannon Lohr. I'm the founder of Factory 45, the online business school that takes sustainable fashion brands from idea to launch. So since 2014, I've worked with entrepreneurs all over the globe to launch their fashion brands in a way that's ethically and sustainably made. And I would say that is one of my passions, all things environmentalism and trying to just lessen our impact, whether that is fashion or the what we eat or the products we buy. Um, so um, from a, from getting people involved, how, how or I, let me just say this, how, who do you target for what you're trying to do? It's really anyone who has an idea for a product um, that solves a problem. I think that's one of the things I'm not in this to help start another t-shirt brand. Um, I'm really interested in working with entrepreneurs who want to provide solutions to problems and who want to appeal to a niche target market and really focus on building a sustainable supply chain from the ground up. Um, I can remember uh, working with a client who had a, a t-shirt business and, and they um, they were exclusively white cotton t-shirts that were very high end. Uh, if somebody came came to you like that, what would be what would you be to get started? Where do you, in from a I guess from a sustainability standpoint, would you encourage them to to source their materials within the region they're at and maybe some maybe walk us through that kind of what, what process? Sure, that's definitely part of it. I think as much as you can localize your supply chain as possible, that's going to be huge in lowering your shipping and and carbon footprint. Um, I always say 
identify the fabric or materials you need and then see what you can find as the sustainable alternative or the sustainable match. So if you are looking for 100% cotton, then can we start to explore 100% organic cotton or recycled cotton and sort of starting there, identify what you need and then identify what the sustainable match could be. And from, um, from a getting started standpoint, how much do you help them from, from the business side and the marketing side? What is it that you offer in, in those regards? Yeah, it's really an idea to launch business school. So we're starting off with the supply chain side, but also writing your business plan, identifying the problem that you're solving, identifying the target customer or target niche. So it's very much a hybrid. Here's how to create the product from a logistics and just physical, what do you need? You know, what are the materials you need? But also we dive into marketing and building an audience before you launch. And then eventually I teach a funding method of pre-selling so that you're not risking your own money and you are essentially pre-selling your product um, so that your customers are financing your production run for you. And so the pre-selling would that be something like Kickstarter, where they're where they have an idea, and you're you're encouraging people to kind of join in on this effort, and get launched. Yeah, I think you know Kickstarter is one of the platforms that we recommend. Uh, there are all different crowdfunding platforms. You can also do pre-selling on your Shopify site, or we teach a, a strategy called the virtual pop-up method, which is through Instagram. So it's really, I don't care so much about the platform you choose. And of course, we advise on which one is the best fit for your product, but it's more about pre-selling to test the market to make sure that you're not creating something, risking your own finances, risking your own time and energy, not knowing if people are actually going to buy what you want to create. And so it's really about testing the market and reducing your risk. Do you help people? with their ideas, you know, if, if, um, I mean, if, if I'm in, if I'm in Hawaii and I'm trying to sell down jackets or I'm in Minnesota, I'm trying to sell, uh, I'm trying to sell speedos, uh, in the winter, which I guess you can jump through the ice. Uh, so maybe that's a bad example, but do you help people with some of those ideas and, and maybe advise them at, at when the idea isn't so great? Sure. Yeah, of course. Um, I think that there is a, you know, I always say I cannot predict the products that are going to be hits. Like I would never have predicted Crocs would be, you know, the multi-million dollar, maybe billion dollar company that it is. But yes, we can sort of identify first from the beginning where you're going to find the most success. And that can go, that can be as basic as should you sell bathing suits in Minnesota in the winter or something like, should you sell direct to consumer? Should you sell wholesale? Should you do omni-channel or combination of both? Is this the target market you should be going after? Um, all those little things uh, we definitely dive into. It's a very in-depth, extensive program. Uh, so we help with all those good things. Yeah, I think too, the risk in there too, is when you're talking about the channels, if you were to sell to somebody like uh, Walmart or Target, can you keep up with the with the demand that some of those uh, stores would ask for? And it, it, the funding side of it, 
I think a lot of those uh, larger big box stores require you to finance all that inventory and they basically put it in and, and sell it. So that's that would be another risk that you would kind of explain to those people? Yeah, my my advice would be don't go that route from startup stage. We are very much looking at, uh, again, niche customers, niche target markets, and then organically scaling as you do your first production run, you get some experience, you you organically are growing up from there. I think that one of the biggest mistakes that startups make, especially the ones that are VC backed or have private funding, is that they try to scale too fast and they try to do that Walmart production run from the beginning and it just ends up, there's just too much risk. Uh, the Walmarts of the world have no liability and it's just not something that I would recommend from the beginning. So I've been having a lot of conversations Amazon model and <clears throat> excuse me, putting putting their products on Amazon directly is that is that an avenue that you'd recommend right away? No, I say do not build your uh, sales channels on somebody else's platform. We've seen this with social media. We have no control or ownership over our Instagram following or our Facebook pages or our reach. So I I would really encourage everyone to set up a whether it's a Shopify site or their own e-commerce site that they own and that they have control over. And then do you help them with um I know that you've said you help them from kind of from the start to finish. Do you hand it off at some point or at what point do you say, okay, you've graduated and you're off, or is it a consistent ongoing engagement? Yeah, it's very much like we're getting you to launch, but it's a, it's lifetime access. So anyone who launches is a factory 45 or for life, even if they did launch. But of course, I'll recommend other resources for scaling or going the wholesale route or whatever it is they want to do after that first uh, production run. My focus really is getting them through that first production run. Um, where did the name factory 45 come from? Oh man, if I could change it now. This is like what I always tell my my entrepreneurs, your name doesn't matter. Like, yes, it matters to some extent, but it more matters that you get the domain and you get the social media handles and just move on. But um, going back to 2014, when I chose the name, I think maybe I would have chose a different one, but it was really, I was just sitting down one day and I had just, I had launched my own fashion brand and um, back in 2010, and I was sort of just thinking through some of the entrepreneurial principles that I felt held true and, and were tested and um, held the test of time, and it ended up being 45 things. So I combined that with sort of this idea of a virtual factory, which of course now is very confusing for people who think I'm an actual factory, but it's, it's, uh, it's all good. <laughs> Yeah, I think there was a Doc 51 or something like that uh, that sold that type of thing. And it just came from the Doc number that they had in their warehouse. Yeah, exactly. Just like pick a name and go with it. <laughs> so a little bit of background. So you started a business back in 2010. Tell, tell us about your entrepreneurial journey. Yeah, I was, uh, I had just gotten back to the United States after bartending my way around the world. I had graduated from college. I was a journalism major. I had no fashion background, really no business background, but I knew I wanted to run my own business, dabble in entrepreneurship, see what that would look like. 
Um, and so a girl that I had met while bartending in Australia, we, she sent me a Facebook message one day and she said, I know you're not going to get a real job. Do you want to do something with me? Do you want to start a business with me? And so um, we ended up flying down to Central America. We were researching organic cotton farms in Nicaragua. We were exploring fair trade export and import um, and all that good stuff. And then we realized, whoa, that's we're way in over our head with that. Um, but what happened was as we were traveling, traveling, we started designing a line of 10 pieces that could be mixed and matched to create over a hundred different looks. So the idea was two women like us were just aspiring minimalists want to keep traveling throw that wardrobe in a backpack and take it wherever we our adventures you know take us um and so that's sort of where we started to start put a supply chain together start exploring the fashion industry and quickly realized how damaging the traditional fashion industry is to people and planet and we decided you know like like true millennials, if we were going to start a business, we were going to do it in a way that was, um, you know, lowered our impact and was as sustainable as we possibly could. So fast forward, we ended up launching the highest funded fashion project in Kickstarter history at the time. Um, we were featured in the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal. It was this very cool first experience in entrepreneurship and kind of set me up to what I do today. So you had mentioned earlier about supply chain challenges that 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 are that you that people will experience can you speak to how you're helping people navigate around that and maybe kind of focus on if if somebody wanted to go down to central america and develop a product is that going to be something that um that can be sustainable yeah, well, so the part of the story that I left out was that we did not end up setting up our supply chain in Central America. We ended up setting up a supply chain within a 50-mile radius in the United States where we were living. Um, and that is what I recommend as much as possible is, again, that localization, that domestic supply chain, not even from a sustainability standpoint, but just from a logistics standpoint of being able to go to your factory, go to your supplier, be there in person, check up on things, you know, make sure everything's above board and then be in constant communication. I see a lot of brands, not really the brands I work with, but I know of brands, you know, who are working with supply chains over in China and they're just completely at a loss because they have no control over it. And then there's, you know, factory and all the delays and the shipping and all of that. So I have definitely seen, you know, from the beginning, I have been teaching localization, domestic supply chains, and now more than ever with the pandemic, uh, that's becoming more and more important. Yeah, I had a client that was a larger client in Mexico, and their supply chain for, for making anything, they, they did cotton things, but it was to buy the string from, well, the cotton would come from the U.S., it would get shipped to Indonesia and then turned into string and then shipped back to mm -hmm. uh to mexico where it would either be a, or created as a, a garment or sometimes shipped to vietnam or it turned into t-shirts and then shipped back to the u.s again so i can imagine just the carbon footprint alone would would cause uh number one your t-shirt that you're putting on to be carbon yeah. not friendly but uh, it adds cost to it 
So how about from a labor standpoint, how do you advise uh, on getting on getting the labor costs and the material costs together? It's similar to a restaurant where you have to bunch, a bunch of different things to put together to come up with a price. Do you help them with that part of it? Yep, that's module three. We do uh, not only cost of goods sold, which is what you're talking about, gathering all your costs and then budgeting out and also doing financial projections. So we go through all that and also figuring out, you know, does it make sense to sell direct to consumer so that you don't have to do that, you know, 3x to 4x markup for wholesale or whatever it is. Um, So yeah, those are all things we, we go over in the program. Are you seeing any particular trends right now that people are looking for in the industry? Are they going away from sort of fancy brands and going for more, um, I don't want to say plain, but is there is there something that's trending? Yeah, I mean, the sustainable fashion space is a lot different, right, from the traditional fashion industry where we're focused on trendless, seasonless, timeless pieces that you will wear for years and years to come. We try very much not to get caught up in trends and what's trendy. Um, I will say the need for loungewear and comfortable athletic wear is still very real um, from for all of us working from home and still again, you know, just pandemic li- living. So if anything, I would say those are the, the two main uh, growth categories I've seen. Do you see the need for loungewear just from the waist up? Has been the most important part. <laughs> or maybe the waist down, those pajama pants that you yeah, can just kind of Sorry. pretend. Yes. Yeah. I'm wearing my Jack Russell uh, pajama pants right now. So. <laughs> there you go. Target market right there. <laughs> um, so from then from a from an ongoing standpoint, um, as they grow, uh, how do you help them navigate through uh, some of those harder times? And, it's, and I think you mentioned earlier about New York Times or, or um, if they get super famous, uh, how do you help them with that? And I know we've even had clients who who've suddenly had a, uh, their product appear on the Today Show. And, and then Friday, their website crashes because yeah. it's gotten overwhelmed with traffic. Do you advise in any of that? Yeah, I, w- I, w- I think this is where the pre-sale comes into play again beautifully. If you know you're going to be on the Today Show and you don't have the upfront capital to prepare for that, just throw up a website with a pre-order. Um, and to do it that way, I think that's, again, really low risk. People are now, again, especially in the sustainable fashion space, they're willing to wait. You know, I know we live in a time of Amazon instant gratification, but there are people in the sustainable fashion space, customers who are willing to wait for a pre-order, and, and we, we see this all the time. So that would be my recommendation. Yeah, and that's an interesting view because I think from our side, we're, we're, we have a digital agency, so we see mainly just the technology side of it. How How is your site going to respond to this extremely large amount of traffic? But the, I, I haven't thought so much about you have to have enough money to buy all the stuff to sell it, but then you have to have the stuff to sell when they get all those orders. And I, I think I can remember a UPS commercial where somebody put up a a little ticker and it said four or five orders and all of a sudden it was the re- the needle was pegged with orders coming in like crazy. Uh, and I would imagine that's the person's dream who's come up with this concept. Yeah, I think that's ultimately the goal. Um, but again, it's about 
smart growth. Um, it's about growth that you can uh, manage because nobody, you know, it's the dream, but you also don't want to be the person who I'll never forget the Pebble watch. That was a huge Kickstarter success. They were one of the first to do like millions in pre-orders on Kickstarter and their supply chain, like the deliverable, their timeline, all of that, they just were not prepared for it. And I can't imagine the, the headache and stress that that also, they were probably like, I wish we never did this. Like we got a million dollars. Can we, can we send it all back? Because they couldn't fulfill it. Um, and so I think it's just really important to, to have balance. And that customer relation portion of it that you've just mentioned is such a, a big part. And even keeping up with communications with your customers and helping them understand where they are in this process is is very important. I think you mentioned earlier just the instant gratification if you're not if you're not able to to ship that item uh, to make sure that they understand that the item is coming, it's going to make it there on some date. Uh, is there anything that you give as advice around the Black Friday that's coming up? Well, just going back to that really fast, I can completely relate to that because even with my own Kickstarter, when we, you know, became the highest fun and fashion project, we quadrupled our production run, like tripled our goal, all that stuff. It ended up, we had delays as well. And so just learning from experience, I always tell all of my entrepreneurs account for at least three months of a buffer. Like think about what your deadline is for your delivery and then add three months to it. And then again, like you said, the communication to your customer, if it's going to even even be beyond that, constantly updating them, keeping them in the loop, because I think that people are understanding when they know what's going on. Um, in terms of Black Friday, I would say make sure your email marketing company <laughs> is, is ready to go. Um, I know that that's, I have friends who work for some of the big email marketing companies like Klaviyo and MailChimp. And I know this is like the week where they're all getting their servers ready and making sure they're good to go. So I would say uh, get, get some emails queued up, maybe more than you think you even need because maybe not all of them will make it out. Um, but yeah, email, 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 email. Yeah, and pay attention to your list clean because your mm -hmm. MailChimp may block you if you have uh, if you've bought a list that isn't so great. Or, I mean, oh, yeah. of course, if you haven't opted in, that's a big no-no. But um, so we have a, a few minutes left here. Maybe you could uh, give us a uh, some tips uh, on what they sh what people should expect and and how would they get a hold of you. Sure. So if you want to connect, if you're interested in launching a sustainable fashion brand, you can book a call with us with someone from our team. We would love to talk to you more and you can just learn more about the program um, at factory45.co and then you can go ahead and just click on the book a call button. Otherwise, I'm on Instagram at factory45co. I'm on YouTube. We're launching a sustainable fashion podcast in January. So you, you'll, you'll see me all around at Factory 45. Great. And my, when I get my Jack Russell um, uh, shorts that I'm going to start selling, I'll come to you for, for advice. <laughs> Perfect. Places to sell those. Great. Um, if, if you had one um, nugget that you could tell a merchant um, who has a new idea, uh, what would you tell them right now? I would say start building your audience and talking about your idea as soon as you possibly can. And it's never too soon. I know we like to worry about copycats and competition and people stealing our ideas, but 
especially the brands that are bootstrapping and don't have that VC marketing money, you really have to start building an audience before you're ready to sell anything. So whether that is building an audience on social media, my favorite is building an email list, um, whatever it is, start doing it now um, far, befo- far before you're ever ready to sell anything. And, and creating that audience, uh, like you said, on social media is such an important part of it. Um, how much do you use, say, video versus Twitter versus channels that you'd recommend? Uh, I think fashion especially is very Instagram focused, um, very photography focused. So, um, but, but I'm seeing, I think it really depends on the niche too, if you, and where your audience is hanging out, if your audience is on YouTube and they love watching videos, go there. If they like podcasts, start a podcast. If, if they're on Instagram, start doing reels, uh, TikTok, you know, there's so many options that I think really focusing on doing one or two really well than trying to do all of them is going to be far more effective. And then again, just making sure that the channels you choose are the ones where your customers are hanging out online. Yeah. And, and finding some tool to help measure how well those, how well those um, uh, advertisements or Instagram posts or are how well they're being received and who's looking at them and, and things like that are such important. Um, so, uh, I always give, uh, I always give our guests an opportunity to do a shameless plug. Uh, you can plug anything you'd like. Why don't you go ahead and give us a shameless plug? Oh, my shameless plug. Um, the, I guess I'll plug, uh, the upcoming podcast. The trailer is releasing on December 15th and the podcast is releasing on January 5th. So it will be called start your sustainable fashion brand. And we'll be talking all about the business principles, marketing strategies, and roadmap to launching your fashion brand. Wow, I'm excited to hear it and uh, look you. forward to it. Um, thank you, Brent. Shannon, Shannon Lore, the founder of Factory 45. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks so much for having me. The Talk Commerce podcast is sponsored by Swift Daughter. E-commerce developers solve problems daily. In fact, some of those seem like mountainous hurdles that must be climbed in a matter of hours. Stress levels can go through the roof. No wonder the plague of burnout affects developers too. Ah, but there's a vaccine for that. Investing time in your career will take you farther than you ever imagined. Meet Swift Otter. Swift Otter exists to help you become the e-commerce hero that is indispensable and irreplaceable at your company. We do this through Magento Certification Study Materials and Joseph Maxwell's most recent book, The Art of E-Commerce Debugging. Go to swiftotter.com to learn more about how you can quickly climb the ranks in your quest to be a better developer. While you're there, use the coupon code TALKCOMMERCE for 15% off any digital goods at swiftotter.com. Thank you again for listening. My name is Brent Peterson, and it has been my pleasure to be your host today. Please rate and subscribe to Talk Commerce, new shows out every week.